Hello and welcome to the Convex Conversation with me, broadcaster Helen Fospero. So many of us enjoy pasta, but for me, it rarely tastes as good as on holiday in Italy with fresh seasonal ingredients. So who would have thought pasta through the letterbox would revolutionise our enjoyment? Pasta Evangelists was set up a little more than five years ago by banker come entrepreneur Alessandro Savelli. His mission? To bring the kind of authentic dishes he grew up making with his grandmother in Italy to British kitchens. Alex and his team have built up a loyal following of customers who receive freshly made pasta and ingredients in a recipe kit through their letterboxes on a subscription basis to make delicious sauces and garnishes using fine ingredients. You might remember Alex and Finn, his co-founder, pitching for £75,000 worth of investment two years ago on Dragon's Den. We are here to talk about pasta evangelists, and I hope you're all hungry. We make the best artisanal fresh pasta in the UK and deliver it to your homes. We are here today to try and convince you to become partners in our company, and we're offering 2.5% of the equity of our business in exchange of £75,000. Well, those dragons may regret not investing, as the company, which counts Bake Off Judge and Cookery School founder Prue Leith as an investor, sold a major part of the company for an estimated £40 million a year ago, ironically to the biggest pasta maker in the world. So I'm delighted to welcome Alex to hear his incredible entrepreneurial journey. And uh, Alex, I've realised I've missed a bit of a trick here. Shouldn't we be sitting in Harrod's dining room sampling some of your fair waltz recording there? You're right, and we can always go there one day, but no, our restaurant in Harrods is, I think, very nice, pasta's delicious. I've specifically asked the chefs to make sure that every portion is fairly sizable, and in Harrods we also have not only a restaurant, but also a shop, a little concession, where one can buy pasta and sauce to bring home and cook at home. Oh, it sounds amazing. How did you come up with the idea for Pasta Evangelists in the first place? I mean, I like food. I follow quite closely the development of new food and beverage brands. I'm obviously Italian. And I saw that there just wasn't a premium, delicious, fresh pasta and sauce brand. And so I thought I'd create one. And what inspired you? I mean, were you thinking of the kind of pasta that you grew up making with your grandmother when you thought about what kind of things you could make? Yeah, I mean, ultimately, growing up in Italy, growing up in a family which, most, like most Italian families, has a strong passion for good food and good pasta, that part came quite naturally. Equally, moving forward to today, we've got an experienced uh, food team with a, a very experienced chef called Michele, an amazing sfoglina, pasta artisan called Roberta. So we've obviously built a sizable team to help us bring even more pasta. When I think of pasta, I guess I think of fairly basic cannelloni, you know, lasagna, spaghetti bolognese, and, and while there's an absolute place for all of that, they're quite traditional favourites. Give me an idea of some of the more unusual dishes and recipes that you come up with. I mean, yesterday we had a pasta tasting, ironically, in the Barilla offices, where we tried four different versions of pistachio pesto. So, you know, there's pistachio ice cream, there's pistachio chocolate, why not pistachio pesto, which actually comes from Sicily. The beauty of pasta in Italy is that recipes tend to be very regional. So what you have in one town doesn't exist in another town. Doesn't it? So in where I come from in Genova, you'll have walnut pesto, which doesn't exist anywhere else really. And we as pasta evangelists are trying to capture all of these lesser known recipes, regional recipes, with you know very specific ingredients and sometimes century-old traditions and bring them all to the UK. Wow, give me some idea of those century-old traditions. 
I mean, that's from how you make the sauce, how you make the filling, the pasta shape. For instance, there's many shapes which are becoming almost extinct because they're just too cumbersome to make, too complex to make, because you know people are making pasta by hand less and less. But even there, every town has its own pasta shape. I come from Genova, which is in Liguria. In Liguria, you get corzetti, which you don't get anywhere else. Trofie, which are more common, I would say, and they come from a Ricco, a small town near Genova. Panzotti, which are uh, similar to Tortelloni in a way. So every little, every little town has got its own twist, one could say. That's wonderful. And do you source a lot of your ingredients from different parts of Italy? It depends. Some ingredients, absolutely, like Parmesan, for instance, obviously. Others are British ingredients. You know, Italians, yes, they're proud of their produce and they're proud of the ingredients that come from, from Italy. But if one thinks of the Italian skill, whether that's in fashion or whether that's in coffee, or whether that's in foods, you know, a lot of the fashion items made by Italians made in Italy are not necessarily made with raw ingredients coming from Italy. Italians are good at transforming items. Even jewellery, which is a big industry in Italy, the gold and the diamonds and the precious stones don't come from Italy. They come from, you know, South America or, or, or Africa. But the Italian craftsman is good at transforming the materials. I think a delicious pasta doesn't necessarily have to come from Italian ingredients, but it ideally needs to follow how it's made, needs to be made according to the Italian skill set and tradition. Do you have memories, Alex, of, of being with your grandmother and making the pasta yourself? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it was a long time ago, but yeah, <laughs> you know, I remember a bit of a faff, you know, making gnocchi by hand takes a long time, making ravioli by hand takes even longer, and therefore it was something for my birthday, for Christmas. But yeah, I mean, I remember um, Nonna Maddalena, she would make ravioli for Christmas, gnocchi al pesto, and for sure the taste was uh, dramatically different from an industrial product. I think I've read that gnocchi al pesto is one of your favourite dishes still, is it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, pesto comes from Genova. So if you're a Genovese like me, you have pesto all the time. Had it yesterday. Yeah, you can't go wrong really with that. When I hear you talk about Italy, my surname is from Calabria. I guess it would be pronounced Fosporo in Italy. I think it was a typo from my husband's grandparents coming through Ellis Island. I suspect the name was probably Prospero. And I always ache to come from somewhere as beautiful as Italy. What makes you kind of live in Britain? I'm imagining sunshine, fresh produce and all the lovely stories that you're telling from Italy. Do you like it over here, Alex? I do. I do. I've been here many years. I, I am half English, so I kind of swing both ways. <laughs> I, think, yeah, I think they're both different. I think a bit of both is probably a happy medium. I love your accent, actually. Sometimes you sound very British and other times when you're talking about pasta, you sound very Italian. It's a, a lovely mix. Tell us in, in your context what exactly a pasta evangelist is. I think a pasta evangelist is passionate about food, obviously passionate about pasta. You know, yesterday I spoke to my boss, who's the owner of Barilla, and he said that he has pasta six or seven times a week. And frankly, me, roughly the same. You know, I think a pasta evangelist is someone that when they travel somewhere abroad, not Italy, and they go on holiday for, say, a fortnight. On the 10th day, they start itching for pasta. Most Italians, if you haven't, they don't have it for a few days, you're almost, you have a, a longing for it. You, you need it almost. And you've had some, well, got some well-known pasta evangelists, haven't you? I'm thinking of uh, the food critic Giles Corrin, for example. How did he get involved? Yeah, he, he got involved at the beginning of the venture on day one of the company, and he was a friendly ally. He, you know, a very uh, 
very nice person, very uh, knowledgeable about food, very passionate. And currently he's not involved anymore, but you know, the show goes on. Yeah, and I guess it was nice in the early days to have some advice like that. Before we get into the actual kind of business story, which always fascinates me when you hear of a startup and an idea and then watch it develop into something hugely successful. I suppose what I haven't really asked you is to just describe in in your words what customers get and the the speed and ease with which people like me can make your dishes at home. Yeah, so talking a bit about the product and Pasta Evangelist more specifically, our ambition is to really bring the best possible quality pasta and sauces to the UK, to anyone living in the UK. And we ship our pasta everywhere in the country, literally everywhere, next day delivery. So it's extremely convenient. You go on the website, place an order, and the following day or two days later, depending what time you order, you, you receive it at your house, all chilled, nicely packaged with recyclable packaging. And you have a delicious meal, which only takes perhaps five minutes to cook. So it really is convenient and delicious and creative because we have a continuously innovative menu, which is very exciting. So we're always coming up with new recipes, vegan recipes, gluten-free recipes, high-protein dishes, regional specialities, sometimes even unorthodox recipes, one could say, oven pasta, filled pasta. It's just a what big uh, universe that lends itself to subscription. So our customers are all subscribers, and therefore, whether it's once a week or once a fortnight or once a month, they select any day of the week they want when to have their, their pasta fix. Equally, in London and also in some towns out of London, we have pasta evangelists on Deliveroo. So you can order our pasta on Deliveroo and it'll come to you cooked. So that's also very exciting. And finally, you know, if people are shopping on Ocado, they can also buy our pasta on Ocado. So it's quite easy to access depending everywhere in the country. Sounds amazing. I am interested in your story. I mean, you were a banker, weren't you, Alex, in the earlier part of your career? Yes, many years ago, alas. And what made you kind of want to leave that world and, and do your own business? Well, first of all, after banking, I went to do a business school, went to do a master's degree in MBA, which was necessary because I really felt the need to expand my knowledge. I wanted to live in the US, and that was amazing. And then I was keen to create something from scratch and try that uh, adventure. And that's what I've been doing for the past 14 years. What was your ambition when you started Pastor Evangelist? Did you see it as a small company or did you have an exit strategy in mind? Were your ambitions big from the beginning? Yes, they were. Well, the business is still very humble. You know, we're still very much in the nitty gritty of it. But the ambition was to create a sizable business from day one. The ambition was to join and partner with a large FMCG group from day one. And that's what we did. Why? Because ultimately, we want to grow the business. We want this to become a proper business, a meaningful business, a profitable business, a sizable business, an international business. And to do that, we think the best way is to partner with a global FMCG group. And I guess a subscription model probably works very well. It just makes sense, doesn't it? I like the idea of the fact that you could work out whether you wanted weekly, monthly, whenever, and then it's all done and dusted and something arrives through your door when you want it. I think yeah. that's quite clever, isn't it? Because if you don't do subscription, we all lead such busy lives these days. Would we actually get around to ordering again? It's Has that made a big difference for you that you've cultivated sort of regular customers who you know you'll get regular business from? Yes, exactly that. Ultimately, these businesses only work if the product, the service and the overall experience is so good that it entices people not only to try the products, 
but to keep on purchasing it. And therefore, given that this is a, a food product and everyone needs to eat every day, and it's a fairly common food product in that people can eat pasta with frequency, right? It wouldn't be unusual to have pasta every week. And therefore, the mechanism of subscription is absolutely the cornerstone of our business. I remember watching you on Dragon's Den. Oh my goodness, what a brutal experience that looked from from a viewing perspective anyway. What was it like going on Dragon's Den for you and for Finn? It was fun. It was fun. It was a great experience. Uh, it was intense. It was intense because you're in that room for an hour. You know, the TV show only lasts eight or nine minutes, ten minutes, but you're in there for an hour in front of the cameras, getting asked lots of questions, getting grilled, one could say. Lover of La Dolce Vita, Deborah Meaden, is one more who appreciates their pasta product. Buongiorno. Buongiorno. I love pasta. This tastes fantastic. So you Grazie. start from a really good place here. But I have to say, you have a startling valuation. Valuations go up when you've got real barriers to entry. So when you've got something really special, we are the only way you can do this. We can all buy nice pasta. In fact, my husband makes the most amazing pasta and pasta sauces. So what have you got that I couldn't go out tomorrow and say, I'm going to get a maker of this, I'm going to get the best of this, that and the other. I'm going to pull it all together, I'm going to brand it, and I'm going to do a subscription model. So. I mean, to be honest with you, this is a, a uh, food and beverage brand. We haven't got IP around the product. You, you could copy it, absolutely. Uh, but all the recipe creation is in our hands. Yeah. You know, when you start a business, inevitably you're always pitching, whether it's to employees, future employees, customers, retailers, investors. You're always pitching, but that's obviously a slightly different pitch. My main concern was to make sure that the company came out well, number one. And number two, ideally, I was keen to avoid looking like a mug in front of the country. And although we did get grilled, I think we did a pretty good job on both of these fronts. I thought you did a fantastic job. And I think it certainly raised your profile and let an awful lot of people know who you are. I think also a lot of programs like that, it's theatre, isn't it? It's a bit like The Apprentice. I think for the judges who sit there, a lot of it's theatre. Jenny Campbell rather cruelly said, you know, that she loved your idea before making these crushing comments. Has Jenny Campbell seen something the others have missed? I like it. Thank you. I like it because it's a brilliant business lesson in how not to run and set up a business. Sorry. <laughs> Where did you lose your marbles in this one? Makes me smile now looking at you with a very good business, watching back those clips. I'm so glad that it all worked out and they must be a bit sad they didn't give the investment that you and Finn were pitching for. I mean, ultimately, we're still small business. We're still growing. We've still got growing pains. We're not even half of the way there, to be honest. So a lot of work has to be done. Is the business successful or not? Time will tell. Yes, we do have momentum, but uh, a lot of work needs to be done. You know, in terms of the dragons, when you start a business, most people think that what you're doing is a bad idea. So one has to, on one hand, remain humble and listen and try and pick and choose and learn from feedback. Equally, sometimes you have to be a bit headstrong and just keep on moving forward because if you listen to everyone, no one would ever start anything. Did you feel at all bruised by the experience or did you feel that you'd been on a, a learning curve? I was quite happy because, again, I felt like it didn't look too much like a mug. The company that came out well 
And I also thought this was an amazing marketing opportunity. I think it was. Deborah Meaden said, well, you know, I could go to the supermarket and buy the ingredients and do this myself. And I was thinking at the time, yeah, just like I could cut my hair myself. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't. And of course, Bake Off Judge and Cookery School founder Prue Leith was, she must have seen the magic because wasn't she one of your original investors? Yeah, she was involved again since the beginning of the business. And she was a wonderful person, very helpful. She was a yeah, great supporter. Absolutely. How did you meet her and come across her in the first place, Alex? We were introduced. We were introduced and she was intrigued from the start of our business. She liked the quality of the food and she enjoyed, I think, being helping us out. Tell us a bit about the purchase, because I guess it's a bit like selling coals to Newcastle. You know, the person who's bought the majority share is the world's biggest pasta maker. That's hugely complimentary to what you're doing. But how did that part come about? So, you know, that didn't happen by chance. We, we had met Sbarilla a number of times. They'd followed our progress over the years. I think there was a, a lot of commonality, a lot of common passion, and a lot of, I would say, hopefully trust or at least rapport, which had been built with some key people in the organization over the previous few years. And so when the, the moment was right, we had a discussion with them. We all agreed it would be a good idea to try and work together. It must be slightly strange when you found a company and you're working with your fellow founders and it's all your kind of vision. Does it feel strange? You referred to having a boss earlier. Does it feel a little bit different that... You kind of have a boss in, in your own business now, or do you feel that everybody's on the same page and it's just going to allow you that growth that you need? It's good to have a boss. It keeps you missing the wood from the trees. It's important to have a boss to avoid making too many mistakes. And in a way, I'm quite lucky because although I do have a formal boss, which is the chairman of the business, who's a CMO, Barilla, who's really a great guy, but I'm quite lucky because I can speak to many senior professionals within Barilla and have very value-add feedback and guidance. When you first started the business just over five years ago, just give me a sense of how it began. Did you start really small and grow it slowly for those first the first year or two? Yeah, I started super small, literally just making deliveries, packaging food. It started literally bottom-up, and we're still very small. So I think it's important to be very ambitious, to do big things, but equally still pack pasta, still move pallets around, still speak to customers, need to do both, 100%. Do you get a lot of satisfaction from the feedback that you get from customers? Yes, it's important to look at the good feedback. I spend more time looking at the negative feedback. <laughs> I, actually, I only look at the negative feedback and I send it to all of my team all the time, every day, because each one is an opportunity to learn and to tweak what we're doing. All that talk of pasta whetted my appetite to see what was going on at the restaurant. My name is Mario, Mario Filosa. I'm working in the Pasta Evangelist uh, as a head chef and take care about the restaurant. 90% of our menu is about the pasta, fresh pasta. We do some homemade pasta as a ravioli and gnocchi is kind of dumplings from Toscana. It looks like gnocchi, but it's uh, not with potato, but with ricotta. Another very nice plate when I'm start, since I'm starting here, it is the packery with chicken cacciatura, it's mean chicken hammer, and this is a, my grandmother's recipe. So I just put through on the menu because a lot of people here in London and they ask chicken with pasta. It's a bit strange, but it is a very nice flavor, very tasty. So this is very nice for me to remember even my grandma. My cooking, I just learned for my grandmother, for my mom. All my family is chefs. My brother is chef, my sister is chef. So when I'm cooking, it's like a passion for me. It's a, I don't think it's like a job. 
so I come in the kitchen, focalize what I have to do and do it. So I love to cook, it's not hard for me. So as a chef, everybody knows it's a very hard job, but if you do like passion, I put love and uh, the day is going to be fast. I guess for you running the company, it's more important, isn't it, to listen to the people who have a complaint, if you like, just because then you can finesse what you do, you can learn, you can improve, you can make things better. It's lovely to hear great comments about how delicious everything is, but that's nice, but that's not probably your job, is it? Your job is to sort of grow the business and improve the business. But what kind of lessons, probably a tough question, Alex, because it's probably quite hard to answer, but what kind of lessons did you learn along the way and what were the main challenges you think that you faced? We've got daily challenges, we've got lots of challenges right now. We've had challenges a year ago, two years ago, three years ago. It's important to hit them hard to try and fix them without faffing around too much. You have to look for long-term solutions as well, not just short-term ones. But challenges all over the place. People challenges, financial challenges, margin challenges, logistics challenges, product challenges, technology challenges. It's just, yeah, relentless, unfortunately. And do any of them keep you awake at night? Sometimes, sometimes, equally, one gets used, well, when you start your own business, which I did 14 years ago, you kind of get used to it. But having said that, when something serious happens, you need to turn up the volume. And sustainability is really important to you as well as just another thing to consider in in your business. How aware are you of being kind to the planet at the same time as doing what you're doing? I think it's important. I think it's trying to do things in a lean way to decrease the amount of packaging, to decrease the amount of hand labor in doing something if it's not necessary, to decrease petrol required in logistics, to make sure you're using recyclable materials, to using more paper and less plastic to avoiding food waste. I think there's a massive correlation between trying to do things in a smart and profitable business way and equally being kind to the planet. So there are some instances where being kind to the planet and doing things smart financially are not correlated. Sometimes you have to spend more money on packaging because it's more recyclable and that can be a good investment. But equally, I think trying to do things better also makes a better environment. So I spend a lot of time decreasing packaging, decreasing labor, decreasing waste, decreasing logistics, which can only have a very good impact on the environment. I know you're very ambitious for the business and you've said there's still a long way to go. What are your ambitions and what do the next few years look like? Where, where do you see the company going? I would say in a way more of the same. I think the business we're doing is scalable and meaningful and potentially very sizable. So we need to focus on what we're doing and doing it better and doing it more and hiring the right people to make it happen. I think, you know, it'd be important to expand in a second geography, potentially the US in the not too distant future. But we do have a lot of stuff on our plates right now, which we need to um, fix. Literally a lot of stuff on your plates, That's eh? <laughs> I hope you get time to enjoy some of that lovely pasta. Do you still have the time or appetite to make your own stuff at home? Or I, I guess perhaps you can take from your lovely kitchens, can you, and make sure that you're eating your nice things at home? Oh, yeah. My fridge is always full of new pestos, new tagliatelle, new types, you name it. So did you grow up in Italy, Alex? Yeah, I, I was born in Genova and I lived in Genova till I was 19. All your childhood. What did your family do? What sort of family do you come from? My father's an entrepreneur. He's a business guy. My mother's a teacher, an English teacher. I'm sure they're very proud of what you're doing, probably particularly dad, if he's an entrepreneur. Has he helped you and guided you in the early stages of you going into business? Yeah, I speak to him every day. He's a good sense check. He does have experience. 
And he's definitely unfiltered. I see. You need unfiltered, I'm guessing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you say that you've been in business for 14 years now. What other kind of things did you do before Pastor Evangelist? Has it always been in that food space or were you up to other things when you first started your entrepreneurial journey? I've done three things. I worked in finance, then I went to business school, then I did another company, which was in the luxury smartphone space. Ah. It was a business which didn't work out after eight years. Well, I tell you what, that's all part of that journey, isn't it, that you have to go on. What would you say, Alex, to anybody listening that has a passion for something like you do and has a desire to start their own business? Any kind of advice or or words of wisdom or encouragement that you'd give to anybody listening really wanting to just give it a go? I think absolutely, as you just said, give it a go, go for it, have a stab. Doesn't mean necessarily starting something on your own from scratch. You could join something, you could create it with someone else. There's many ways to skin a cat. But I definitely believe that the entrepreneurship route is something that anyone who's interested in broader business should consider because it's very exciting. I think as well is part of that excitement for you that you found something that you are absolutely passionate about and love. And I can see your eyes twinkle when you talk about some of the dishes and the ingredients. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think we're lucky because we're not selling steel tubes. We're selling something which is very emotional, which is very beautiful, very tasty, which people enjoy. So from that perspective, we're quite lucky. And do you have a very good team around you? Yeah, absolutely. I've been very lucky to have amazing co-founders, Chris and Finn, which have been involved since the beginning of the business, have been instrumental in everything we've achieved. So that's been amazing. But we've got an amazing team, very passionate team, I would say a loyal team. And I'm very proud of uh, what everyone is doing. Smart people, passionate people, a diverse team, and we're growing the team. And paint a picture for me. What's it like when everybody's hard at work actually making that fresh pasta? What's the atmosphere like? Yesterday, we had an amazing event with 30 people from Pasta Evangelist, from Barilla. And there was so much energy and so much passion around the product, so many opinions. People love the product. So it's something which really puts people together. It's, it's, it's exciting, yeah. Well, it's been a pleasure to talk to you. Uh, It's a fascinating story, Alex, and good luck for the future. And thank you so much for for sharing the story with me. It's a brilliant idea and I wish you lots of luck. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Alessandro Savelli, founder of the Pasta Evangelist, a fantastic concept where you can get fresh pasta and delicious ingredients for sauces and garnishes through your letterbox. And an inspirational story of how a fantastic idea, the courage to go for it, passion and determination can lead to a multi-million pound success story. Do download and subscribe to our series at convex.podbean.com or search The Convex Conversation on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher or wherever you listen to your podcast. Join me next week for another great guest. Ciao.